Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. So thankful that we've been here this morning or able to join through the internet. Father, thank you for that worship. Hallelujah. Thank you that we are now gathering around your word. Thank you for these seeds we're about to plant in our hearts. Thank you for these truths we're about to pour over. So we speak our understanding in Jesus' name, understanding that these seeds are not stolen. Understanding so that these seeds will grow and produce fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Hope the guys next door can hear the sermon as well. Amen. Turn with me to John 10. Hallelujah. One of these days I'll catch you out. I'll go somewhere else. It won't be in John. Carrying on today in John 10, because last week we were in John 9. And we saw religion coming against grace. Happened there, happens now. We saw Jesus healing the blind man. Miraculous, fantastic, hallelujah. Everyone must have been really chuffed. Everyone must have thought, this is just great. Jesus has just changed this man's life, turned him around. Oh, not just, you know, not just healed him, but he's probably going to save him as well. Isn't that fantastic? Oh, no. The Pharisees and the Jews making excuses for this. Well, he kind of looks like that guy. But I'm not sure if it was him. And then spreading fear. That was a big thing for me last week. Spreading fear uh, through, the, through the people. Especially the chaps, mum and dad. And then we see them casting out the healed man, casting him out of the synagogue because he had the audacity to believe in Jesus. Quite an example of how religion and how those with a religious mindset can operate. So I'm carrying on directly from that today, starting, and I'm starting kind of, starting from some comments that were made on Thursday night at the Bible study. Uh, I can't remember who said it, then someone else picked, it up, picked up on it. And they kind of said, they kind of paraphrased that what the, the Pharisees were saying to Jesus was, just who do you think you are? Now, in this discourse, that's really what the, the Pharisees are saying. Who, who do you think you are? What qualifications have you got? What? What rights have you got to tell us kind of these things? And John 10, 1 through to the end of John 10 is really Jesus answering that question. Jesus answering, who do you think you are? And we will get to it, maybe next week, maybe not. John 10, 42, when we see what happens at the end of Jesus telling them who he is. And we'll just jump to it. And many believed on him there. What makes people believe in Jesus' words about Jesus, words of Jesus? The message of grace and mercy. Hallelujah. So we'll do that 
I don't know if we'll get to it next week or not. So John 1, verse 10, I'm going to read the verse 11. Sorry, John chapter 10, verse 1 through 11. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spoke Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, he says a parable, they don't get it. Okay, I'll explain it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Wow, that's powerful. Every man that came before Jesus, a thief and a robber. I will explain that. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I'm glad that I got into this passage after I came to grace because it's I am come that I have got underlined and marked here. I've got the good bit. I've got the good bit marked there. I am come that I might have life and that I might have it more abundantly. Hallelujah. Now you guys will know this passage, John 10, 10, is, it's, got one of, it's one of my favourite and most quoted scriptures. I'm always, I'm always using John 10, 10, and I will get there. But there's lots going on in here. I mean, it's Jesus speaking, so there's obviously lots going on. But kind of saying the same message. What is it he's saying in here? He is saying, I am the only way to salvation. He's saying, I am the only way to the Father. Things he said before, things he's going to say again. Jesus is, Jesus is my rep. I said, Jesus is my teaching style. No, let, let, <laughs> let me rephrase that. I use the same teaching style as Jesus. When I start my Whiskey Academy courses, I say to the guys, you'll recognize my teaching style. I say, I'll tell you what I'm going to tell you. And then I'll tell you. Then I'll tell you what I've just told you. Repetition. I say to them, if I say something three times, it's going to be in the assessment. So repetition, you know. Thankfully, we don't get an assessment at the end of this. Hallelujah. He has been assessed and passed with 100%. Amen. Um, yeah, uh, repetition. Jesus said this before. He's saying it now. He's going to say it again. I'm the only way to the Father. I'm the only way to salvation. It, it's me. And it's not pride. It's not arrogance. It's the truth. Amen. He's once again reinforcing his uniqueness. He is absolutely unique, and I will say in quotation, in, in the world of religion, you know, what people out there think is religion. They think Christianity is just another religion. Christianity is unique, and it's not a religion, it's a relationship. 
But Christianity is all about God coming to us, not us going to God. That's what religion is. And he's identifying his uniqueness and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way. The only truth. The only way to have life, amen, is in and through and because of Jesus Christ. He is contrasting his perfection to men. His uniqueness, his perfection. He's contrasting what other men have done before him. He's contrasting grace and law. He's contrasting grace and religion. And on Thursday night, I noticed something that I'd, I'd not seen before about John 10.10. 10, and it's kind of blown my mind a bit. And what did you say when I mentioned the other day? It'll add another wrinkle. Another, it'll add another wrinkle to your brows when I give you this new interpretation of John 10.10. 10. And some of the really strong things that he said. So what's he saying? What is he saying? Well, I will paraphrase. He's talking about being the good shepherd. He's talking about being the door for the sheep. And he starts this discourse talking about a sheepfold, an enclosure where sheep are kept safe normally at night. So they'll be out in the pasture, shepherd will be looking after them, all the different shepherds will be looking after them. Then they all come into the sheepfold, this pen, this safe pen, one guy keeping an eye on them, uh, one entrance in and out, under their safe. They're guarded. And the sheep could go in and out during the day, and the shepherds would come in and out looking for their sheep. But thieves and robbers would come in over the walls and not the door. They'd try and sneak in, unawares, and get into the sheepfold. He also talks about the sheep knowing the voice of their shepherd and that they would follow them. So he says all that, and then obviously uh, a, they understood not the things that Jesus was saying. So Jesus clocked that. All right, so they don't understand the parable. Again. So I'll explain it to you. Again. And he tells them about it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Again, he's talking about his uniqueness. He is the door. Sheepfolds had one door, one entrance, one way in. Or the one way that you were supposed to go in. Now he's saying, I'm the way, I'm the door, the door. I'm the only way for you to come through. He's talking about sheep there, but then he says, well, it's not about sheep. This is about men. Who are the sheep? The believers, the church, those trusting in Jesus. Any man, verse 8 says, any man going through Jesus, through the door, being in Jesus, the sheepfold, because Jesus equates himself to everything in this, this account. He equates himself to be in the sheepfold. He equates himself to be in the door. He equates himself to be in the shepherd. Why? Because he is everything. And everything's a picture about him. Any man going through Jesus and being in Jesus 
and in this place of safety and this place of trust will be saved. Simple as that. Will be sozoed. He is the only way to safety, to salvation, to health, to prosperity, to acceptance, to righteousness. The only way. He's the only door. He is unique. See, it's another picture. Another piece of typology about Jesus being the only way to salvation. The only way to all those good things. The only way to relationship with the Father. The only way. And we'll get into it. He's contrasting that with everything else. What was everything else in that day? Religion. That was the only way to come to the Father. That was the only way to semi-deal with your sin for that one day before you went out and done something else. Religion. But he's saying, no, no, no. Now it's me. Me, me, me. You know, yeah, if you, if you look at it at a purely human level, you, you know, I think, was it Sean that mentioned it on Thursday night? C.S. Lewis says, Jesus is either Lord, liar, or a lunatic. But you can add egotist to that as well. If he's not the Lord, he is the ultimate egotist. You know, it's all about me. Me, me, me. It's all about me. That's Jesus. But he's not an egotist. He's the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Another piece of typology about Jesus being the only way. But then, what about the thieves and robbers? In that little bit there, Jesus doesn't explicitly talk about thieves and robbers. But you see, he does in verse 10. What about these thieves and robbers coming in? What he's saying is that everyone who comes into the sheepfold by any other means. Now, sheepfold's got different pictures. It is about, it's a picture of Jesus. If you're in Jesus, you're safe. But this is the sheep coming in together. So I believe the sheepfold is also a picture of the church because it's, it's the believers in, it's the sheep in that place. It's the, it's the believers all together. It's a picture of the church. And what Jesus is saying is that Anyone in the sheepfold or the sheep pen, whatever you want to call it, who has not come in through the door, who has not come in through Jesus, who is not fully in Jesus, who does not 100% trust in Jesus, is a thief and a robber. Now, I was thinking about this. I think this can, this can cover two groups of people. It can cover non-believers in the church, and there are lots of them. We'd probably all, you know, I'm pretty sure there's loads of people in the church, as in go to church and in the buildings. Don't give two hoots about Jesus. It's a Sunday club. It's a tradition. It's a, that's the family pew. I better go there. So it's talking about uh, those kind of people, which there are many. But there's another way to understand this. Now, let's remember what is the main theme of John that we are seeing week after week after week. It's Jesus coming to end religion. So I believe in this discourse the religion the religious mindset and people stuck in religion are being described as thieves and robbers. And in that case we have another meaning for John 10.10 10. 
a different meaning compared to the traditional understanding, my traditional understanding. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. What I've always taught and always understood is that when they talk about the thief there, it's talking about the devil. And that's what I've always taught. Now, working through this new understanding, I believe that is a valid interpretation as well. Because he does come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But let's take this whole discourse together. I tell you never to take a verse out of context. Now, mainly when I teach John 10, 10, yeah, John 10, 10, I just kind of throw it in with lots of other stuff and, and, and take it completely out of context. But when we look at it together, talking about a thief in verse 10, it's talking about thieves in verse 8, it's talking about thieves in verse 1. This verse 10 is not disconnected. It, it's not sitting there on its own. He is contrasting what he does compared to what thieves and robbers do. That's one of the, one of the purposes of this discourse. Now let's think about who would climb over that wall. Who would climb over the, the wall, the stones, the thorns, into the sheepfold? Thinking back then when Jesus was teaching, it would be wolves and foxes and wild animals. What are they coming in to do? To kill the sheep. To eat the sheep. It could be robbers, thieves, rustlers. What are they doing when they're coming over? Trying to steal. So that kind of fits in with John. 10 10 and verse 8 jesus says all those that came before me were thieves and robbers in the context that no one else could save people only he could he was contrasting all men before him men of religion men of law but also good men but this is what i'm saying jesus is is contrasting Jesus uses hyperbole to, to enlarge his teaching. You know, when he says, when he says oh, just ignore your mums and dads. Ignore your mothers and fathers. Just nothing to do with them. It's me now. He's not telling you to disown your mum and dad. He's telling you that your relationship with him is, is heightened now to the extent that kind of nothing else counts in his relationship. And it's a hyperbole. He's, he's increasing it. He's contrasting all men before him and all ways before him in terms of getting to God and being saved as thieves, thieves and robbers. He's not actually saying, you know, David was a thief and a robber. Solomon was a thief and a robber. John the Baptist was a thief and a robber. But contrasting to him, that contrast between him and humanity, that contrast between grace and law, he is perfection and they are not. That's kind of where he's coming to. He's using this hyperbolic statement to inflate the difference between himself and mankind, grace and law, truth and religion. So in that context, thinking about that, John 10.10, 10, he says what the thief does, and he says what he does. Could it be that he's talking about what came before him as the thing that steals, kills, and destroys? 
Could it be he's talking about thieves and robbers as the things that steal, kill, and destroy? Could it be he's talking about religion, killing and stealing and destroying? Now, all those things are, of course, off the enemy. So it's a legitimate interpretation to still say John 10.10 is about the enemy. But there's this additional interpretation now, for me, about it being religion. And those of a religious mindset. Especially when we're thinking about the context that John has written in, that we've been studying of for 18 weeks now. It's the end of religion. And strange enough, as I was I was studying this out last week, I read chapter 10. And this thought came to me. Why does why does Jesus just stick that verse 10 in there? when he's talking about sheep and shepherds and robbers. and uh, Why is that just stuck in there? Well, it's because it's completely in context. Because John 10.10 is about these thieves and robbers that he's talking about in this whole discourse. He's talking about what came before him. What came before grace? Law. What came before truth? Religion. So this is Jesus talking about... Talking about now, don't get me wrong, you can still interpret it. Um, you can still interpret it as the enemy. As all things not of the Lord is of the enemy. But I'm starting to think that th this, is about, this is about the church. This is about the, the sheepfold, sheep in this place of security. That's the church. Church should be the place of security. But there's thieves and robbers coming in. And they're not coming in through the door, i.e. they're not in and through Jesus Christ. If you're not... If you're not 100% in and of and through Jesus, that's religion. Religious mindset. Trying to adhere to the law for righteousness. Looking to your own efforts for works, for blessings from God. Striving and working in your own efforts to be right in the eyes of God and be accepted by God. That's something other than Jesus. That's religion. And that, I can tell you, will steal, kill, and destroy. That kind of mindset will steal, kill, and destroy. Colossians 2.8 talks of things not of Christ spoiling us. Anything other than Christ spoiling us. Now that means stealing us away from God's blessings. John 10.10 10 is a similar verse to that. Religion and legalism will not bring life. Nunzi pointed that out in our sermon two weeks ago. She said it was the ministration of death and it strengthened sin. I mean, if those verses weren't in the Bible, you know, if, if you didn't point them out to some people, they probably wouldn't believe it was there. Only Jesus brings life. Only Jesus brings life. Oh, but I'm, I'm living without Jesus. No, you're existing. You're existing. You're born, you're breathing, you'll die. That's an existence. That's not life. The only life, only life comes through Jesus Christ. And this passage is all about that. He's the only sheepfold. He's the only good shepherd. He's the only door. We'll see when we get to it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So that's what he's saying there. I am the door. If you enter in, you should be saved. I mean, it's simple. But it's the opposite. If you don't enter in the door, you won't be saved. It's That's logic. It's, only Jesus brings life. And not only life, but Zoe's life. God's kind of life. An amazing kind of life for health and prosperity, joy and peace, acceptance. All those things. And not only that kind of life, but that kind of life abundantly. Here's this, here's this hyperbolic, hyperbolic thing again, where he just makes it bigger and bigger and bigger. I love the Greek for abundantly. It means, get this, exceedingly abundantly above. It's like blessings pouring over. Just so much blessings that you can't imagine it. That, see, that's the trouble. I think for a lot of us, God is so good and wants us to be blessed so much, we can't see it. It's not that he's holding it back from us, but just we can't see it. Does he want to bless me that much? Does he want to make me, does he really want to make me that healthy? Here we go again. Is he that rich? I want to be so rich, guys. Keep saying that. I want to be rich, rich, rich. Get my new telly. No. You know it's not about that. Absolutely. Lots of stuff like that. Exceedingly abundantly above. More abundantly. Beyond measure is what the Greeks, what the Greek means. It is more than more. English just doesn't cut the mustard sometimes. Oh, it's abundant. It's abundantly, abundantly, abundant. It's more than more. More than we can imagine. And that, that's what we have. If we're born again, when we go in the door that is Jesus, when we're in the sheepfold that is Jesus, when we're allowing him to be our good shepherd, that's what we have. Life and life in abundance. But then the thief cometh, not but for to steal, and to kill and to destroy. Now, I've taught on this before, so most of you have probably heard this, but when I was thinking about it yesterday morning, I was thinking, I quite like those descriptors. I quite like that it says, you know, not, that, not that I want them to steal, kill, and destroy. But when you look at it, I quite like those words. The enemy, religion, religious, the devil, his minions, whatever you want to call it, are coming try and steal, kill, and destroy. And it does sound perverse. They're very strong words, very descriptive words. But I do like that. Because in order to kill something, what does it have to be? Alive. If you want to kill something, it's got to be alive. For someone to steal something from you, what have you got to do? You've got to possess it. You've got to have it already. You know, nobody can steal a 72-inch telly from me. And it's not like my house is secure. I just don't possess one. Steal my Merc. Sorry, her Merc. But... <laughs> Can't steal my huge telly because I don't have it. And for something to be destroyed, it has to already be in existence. 
you can't smash something and break something up if it's nay there, if it doesn't if it doesn't inhabit a certain part of space. No. What the enemy and his workers, religion and religious mindset are trying to steal, kill and destroy already exists in you. You already have it and it's alive in your life. And that's what we need to focus on. He wants to steal it from me. I must have it. He wants to destroy it. It must exist in me. He wants to kill it. It must be alive. God can only steal, kill, and destroy your health if you've already been healed. God can only steal, kill, and destroy your abundance if you've already been made prosperous. Did I say God? Twice. Uh, he's not going to kill, steal. He's not going to steal, kill, and destroy. I wish I could cut that out. You can only steal, kill, and destroy your health if you've been healed. There's no God in there. You can only steal, kill, and destroy abundance if you've already been made prosperous. And of course, God has given us those. That's where I was going. They can only steal, kill, and destroy your relationship with God if you've already been adopted. Anything that he's trying to get from us, just by saying that, Anything that he's trying to get from us, we must have it. It's already there. Already in our born-again spirit, ready to be made manifest into the physical realm. Already provided through the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's all stuff we know. Jesus is telling the Pharisees that anything, anything other than himself, Cannot save, cannot be trusted, cannot heal, cannot prosper, cannot adopt, etc. If only him. And then just to top it off, he tells them how he's going to do it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He will die for his sheep. He will give up his life for his sheep. He will take their place in death so that they can have in return his life. And that life is abundance. It's that great exchange we talk about often, the great exchange that took place on the cross. He died so that we could live. He took, he took the judgment so that we could be forgiven. He took all the sickness and sin so that we could be healed. He took all the poverty so that we could live in prosperity. And we, of course, we're great. We are very fortunate. We are blessed and that we have hindsight. There, he's saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life to the sheep. We're looking back and saying, well, we saw the good shepherd die for his sheep. We are this side of the cross. We are the other side of the cross than this statement. This is, this is Jesus projecting this statement forward. This is what's going to happen. The only way in is through me. The only way for safety is in me. It's all because of me. And this is how I'm going to do it. And they're all looking at that. But we're looking back and seeing it having come to pass. Jesus is the answer to all the problems. He is the only solution. Uh, and the vehicle was the cross.
his finished work has provided the opportunity to be in his sheepfold, to go in through him the door, to have him as our good shepherd. Only through him and in him is guidance and security and safety. We're his sheep. He's the shepherd. He's the door. He's the sheepfold. And these are wonderful truths. Awesome, wonderful truths. But boy, do they put some responsibility onto the sheep. Don't they? They put some responsibility on us in the church. The only place of safety and certainty is in the sheepfold through him as the door. So all we do, all we attempt, the way we live and operate should be in him and through him. Anything else is religion or traditions of the world. And you're letting, we're letting thieves and robbers into our lives. And that will spoil us. It will lead to the theft and the death and the destruction of good things in our lives. We make choices every day. Most minutes, most hours of every day, we make choices that have consequences. We, what do we metaphorically move into? What do we meta metaphorically go through? What do we put our trust in? Is it the sheepfold, the door, the good shepherd? Or what he said, she said, they said? What tradition tells me? The doctrine from culture. Are we trusting in that? Or are we trusting in the word of God? You know, new doctrine from culture. Fitting in. Fitting the word into culture. It's thieves and robbers. It'll steal, kill and destroy. This is the truth. The word of God is the truth. The choices we make should always be Jesus. Never ourselves, never religion, never the works of the law. If we do that, we're not in the sheepfold, we're not going through the door, we're not allowing him to be the good shepherd. We make choices every day. What door am I going to go? I'm going to go through that door, or am I going to try and climb over the wall? Am I going to get stuck on the thorns on the top? I'm going to rip my breeks. You know, what other nonsense is going to happen if I'm trying to climb over that wall and not go through Jesus? Here's another vital um, responsibility from listening to this. And this is for everybody. Probably um, uh, more appropriate, more pertinent, probably not, not of greater importance. What word am I trying to find here? You obviously haven't got it in my notes. I'm just trying to think it up. Um, more relevance maybe to leaders, but important for everybody. Okay. We need to watch for thieves and robbers in the sheepfold. And everybody needs to do that. Because contrary to popular opinion, the pastor doesn't have eyes in the back of his head. We all need to be looking out for this. Is there any religion sneaking in? Any legalism sneaking in? And if that's a pastor, you need to tell him. It's a pastor's wife, you need to especially tell her. <laughs> 
She already knows. She already knows. And we need to look out for thieves and robbers coming over the wall and not through the door. Now, I'm not trying to, I, I don't want to get, you know, I'm not want to put fear in anybody, but I, I've, I've seen this happen. I've seen thieves and robbers come in. Could be called wolves in sheep's clothing, maybe. That's another. Um, now, this is not this is not false teachers. I'm not talking oh, about watch out for false teachers, false teachers. No, because I think a lot of what I'm saying as thieves and robbers are folk with really good hearts doing it with the best, best intention. And they're not doing it to deliberately steal, kill, and destroy. Hopefully. But we need to watch out for that. There's also an onus on us to listen for his voice and recognize his voice. What voices are we listening to? You know, you can you can go online, get podcasts, get videos, teachings that are just so contrary to the word of God, it's just laughable. But it's not laughable because people are listening to them and adhering to them and sticking to them when it is so clearly not the word of God. We need to know. That's it, Carol. People listen to things because they don't know the word of God. You can only, you can only get to know someone's voice. You can only get to recognize them by spending time with them, learning their mannerisms. You know, learning their voice. I mean, my mom, when she phones me, she says the same thing every time. I mean every time. Every time she phones me. Hello, Victor. Let me tell you why I'm phoning. Hello, Victor. Let me tell you why I'm phoning. Oh, hi, Mom. How you doing? Oh, hi, I'm fine. Let me tell you what I'm phoning for. Not once does she say, it's Mum. Never. Why? Because she knows my voice. I know her voice. She knows, she knows I know her voice. I phoned Nancy the other day. I said, hey, Missy, it's me. Oh, yeah, it's you again. No. Hey, Missy, it's me. I don't say, hey, Missy, it's Beck. Why? Because she knows my voice. Probably sick of it. But knows my voice. Why? Because we're in relationship. Relationship. You've had time with that person so that when you phone up, they know your voice, you know their voice. If you didn't have the time. Same with Jesus. (laughs) Shall I say this? Shall I say this or shall I not? If you don't truly know Jesus, you can be sent off course by all kinds of nonsense. Been there, done that. That is not from him. We've probably, we've probably all thought we'd heard from the Lord, done something, and then thought to ourselves, oh, you know, I knew that wasn't well, I knew I shouldn't have done that. I knew I shouldn't have done that. Well, if you, if you knew you shouldn't have done it, why did you do it? Because we think we hear from the Lord sometimes, and we don't. 
if we don't truly know Jesus, if we don't truly know the word, that's kind of like Carl was saying, if we don't truly know the word, when some come, someone comes to us and says, well, I think you should do X, Y, and Z. The Lord's telling you to do X, Y, and Z. The Lord told me to do X, Y, and Z, so maybe you should do X, Y, and Z. But if you know the words, and you know the word doesn't say X, Y, and Z, because you know his voice, you can say, well, I don't know who or what that is, but I know it's not Jesus, because I know Jesus would not say, or Jesus would not tell me to X, Y, and Z. You, you'd be able to think, or we'd be able to think, well, no, that's not biblical. I remember a story Andrew Womack says. I was speaking to a brother about this the other day. Andrew Womack tells a story when this big pastor and prophet came to town and was telling him all these great things he was going to do. But before he did all these great things, God was going to make him sick and humble him and all this. And Andrew was saying, oh, I was kind of almost falling for it. And then the enemy through this guy just went that little bit too far and said, yeah, and the Lord has told me to tell you you mustn't read your Bible for a whole year. And at that point, Andrew Womack said, no, no, no. No, no, no. Because he knew God would never say, don't read my word. Because God encouraged us to read his word. We're encouraged to study. We're encouraged to meditate. We're encouraged to get this into us. So he knew that when he said, no, you're not supposed to be reading your Bible for a year. No, <laughs> thank you. End of. Talk to the hand, is what they would say. And I'm sad to say I've seen this as a pastor. Vic, God told me to do this. I heard him and he said X, Y, and Z. Well, no, no, because it doesn't say that in the Word. I mean, I'm not saying I'm better than this person, but at that point in time, I knew more of the Word than they did. And I was like, what you're telling me is not scriptural, so God would not tell you to do that. But Vic, you heard his voice. No, you heard a voice. Yeah. To truly know his voice, we need to be in him, through him, for him, and understand his words. Amen. Jesus here answering the questions of the Pharisees. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And Jesus has given them the answer. He's the only way to God. The only way to God the Father. He is telling them how unique he is and that he is the one, the only way to salvation and life in abundance. And you know what? He's saying exactly the same today. Amen.